Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. When I was 15, and I still remember it, right, like, mm. like it happened yesterday. I was in a ball on the floor, crying my eyes out, wow. right next to the kitchen table saying, I don't want to play anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'd gone from being you know, a team captain to being a winger who didn't want to get involved in the game and didn't want to play anymore and would do anything to avoid sport on the weekends. And yeah, I, at the age of 15, I was a wreck. This week on Sports Parenthood, our guest David King speaks honestly and openly about his early success as an athlete, his natural talent and in his words being washed up by the time he was just 15 years old. He talks about his world imploding, then coming back to sport where he was on the cusp of a professional career in rugby league before deciding to walk away. You'll hear how he reflects on that moment now. For David, a mental skills coach, director of administration at a school in Sydney, teacher, endurance athlete and charity director, his early experiences have led him to appreciate the importance of character strengths over skill. He's developed a new program called WISPA, W-I-S-P-A, which he'll be launching in the US at the end of this month. To give you a taste of David's work, John and I did a short survey prior to our interview and he unpacks our answers on the show. You'll find them interesting and spot on. Plus... Listen in for David's story about an extraordinary situation he found himself in during an ultra-endurance event. It is genuinely unbelievable. unbelievable. This episode has it all, and here's where it all started. I guess pretty similar to most Aussie kids, sport was everything. And I came from a family where our older sister, who was who was madly into netball and was sort of a, a bit of a tiger when it came to netball, she was you know, just ferocious and determined. And I guess we learned from a young age that that was celebrated in, in our house to be successful. So myself and my little brother were mad for footy and, and we lived footy. And again, we lived because dad lived footy. So we sort of learned from a very young age that footy was everything. There was no such thing as cricket in our house. There was no <laughs> such... Fair enough too, no. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I think Tiff is only referencing the time frame. Yes. The games and, are so and, bloody long. And how long it takes. Right, yeah. So it's it's crazy to think that I speak to a lot of my mates and they're like, oh, yeah, played cricket in the summer and we did a bit of this, bit of that. But for us, it was, it was footy, 24-7, 12 months of the year. If we weren't playing it, then we were training for it or practicing it. So, yeah, footy was everything for us and, and was everything for our family. So we spent our whole weekends traveling from sports ground to sports ground, playing for multiple teams at a time. Um, not sort of the you play for one team. For for that, it was right. We can get you into a couple of teams, and and you'll play for them. You sort of get you. I don't know whether it's the whether he had read the uh, the ten thousand hours <laughs> analogy, but I think he he, he tried to, to get him. He tried to get him in by the time we were ten. So <laughs> we were obsessed with sport, um, and I guess with that came certain expectations, and rightly or wrongly, we we sort of. I guess to preface it, my parents are my heroes. Like my parents are my mm-hmm. my best friends, and um, still to this day, 
the, the people I look up to most, absolutely love mm-hmm. them to bits. However, it was mm-hmm. a tougher upbringing when it came to sports. Mm-hmm. High expectations, I'm hearing. Yeah, perhaps. yeah, we yeah we had some pretty some pretty difficult Saturday and Sunday mornings and afternoons with um, expectations, and I guess with success breeds pressure. Mm. And it breeds expectation. And as a little kid, when you when you're good at it or you're good at a sport, you suddenly have those expectations of yourself because mm-hmm. dad expects us to to win or dad expects us to to get best play and fairest well. and play well. And and so, absolutely, he had every right to expect that we would succeed every weekend and play well every weekend because we had that ability as kids. Mm-hmm. But I think, as I said, success breeds. Sort of builds habits and not always positive habits. Sometimes negative expectations get get lumped on you from a very young age. And we loved our sport and still love our sport. But I think the pressure got to a point where, when we became a little bit older, it showed a bit later in our in our careers. And and I think our our, our junior sport was, was lots of fun, but the fun was on a knife edge with expectation from a very young age. Mm. So. It was. Um, it's yeah. a really interesting analysis, mm. you know, looking back. Yeah, and, and we can joke about it now. We, <laughs> we can have those laughs with with mum and dad about it now. But from a young age, I still I still remember the the pressure from a, a very mm. young age. So, can I just ask you? You said that sort of moving between a junior and I guess moving into an adolescent sport. You said that it showed. What does that mean exactly? What did you mean by that? We were very lucky, I guess. Talent-wise, uh, I guess we mm-hmm. we were we were blessed with maybe the good fortune to to have good hand-eye coordination and kinesthetic sense and yeah whatever you want to call it. But we succeeded as my brother and I as footy players at a young age. But there came to a point where the love had gone out of the sport mm-hmm. at a, at an early mm-hmm. age, and I suffered a a, a crisis of confidence at, when I was fifteen. So I'd gone okay. from you know, best and fairest, best and fairest, best and fairest. And yeah, I was very lucky. Uh, I played in some good teams, but when I was 15, and I still remember it, right, like mm. like it happened yesterday. I was in a ball on the floor crying my eyes out Wow! right next to the kitchen table saying, I don't want to play anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'd gone from being, you know, a team captain to being a winger who didn't want to get involved in the game and didn't want to play anymore and would do anything to avoid sport on the weekends and yeah at the age of 15 I was a wreck (laughs) a a basket of nerves and I didn't want to play anymore and it was a it was a huge fall from grace and I imagine it was pretty hard Mm -hmm. to to witness as a parent so yeah by the time I was 15 I was washed up and done and when I was 16 I took a year off the sport Mm -hmm. and I was like no I'm done I don't want to play anymore and and that was probably the circuit breaker I needed as a little kid Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm to sort of understand what I was doing and why I was doing it. Just took the pressure off for a year. And then now as an adult, uh, I understand what was going on. But as a kid, Mm. my whole world was sort of imploding at that point. Mm. So you said you're 16, you had a year off. And I can imagine it would have been a tough time in terms of, you know, your identity perhaps being wrapped up in being known as a sports person. And obviously then you've mentioned the expectations. So how did you navigate through that? you mentioned the year off with those, I guess, um, you know, feelings of identity and perhaps expectation going yeah, from someone in, who played every week and who was obviously known for that. And all of a sudden you're not playing footy yeah. and everyone's saying, what are you doing? How King? did you navigate that? In, in retrospect, it, 
I didn't understand the the reasons to why I was not loving sport, and mm. and I didn't understand that it had anything to do with motivation. Um, I think mm. at a very young age we're taught about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, mm. and it's not till I became much older and and sort of have immersed myself in the psychology of sport that it was probably the interjected and the identified motivation that that I was struggling with. I was doing things out of guilt. And and what we don't understand is that a lot of kids will do things from an interjected motivation point of view, where they'll do things because they feel like they should, or they feel like their mates are doing it, or they feel like mm-hmm. mom and dad want me to do it, mm-hmm. or I've always done it, so I have to keep doing it. That's literally almost word for word what our 15-year-old daughter said to us mm. about a month ago. She's just stopped competitive swimming, and she yeah. actually just woke up one morning and we, we weren't. It wasn't anything like you're describing in terms of a, of a, of a. Oh, let's call it a crisis. It it was her waking up and doing exactly what you just said. That was what she expected of herself. That's what she thought we expected of her. That's what she she said she linked swimming with going to school. That's all. Like you wake up and you swim, the and then you wake up and you, and then you come home and you shower and you change and you eat breakfast and you go to school. And she woke up one morning and said, I actually don't have to do this. I'm doing it voluntarily. Wow. Yeah, her, of her own volition. And then we obviously got into some deeper conversation around that and okay. she's subsequently having a break. And it's, um, it's interesting because I, I feel what you were describing then, the reasons why, and I think you used the term interjected. I'm, I'm not yeah. really sure what that means, to be honest. Can, can you clarify yeah. that a little deeper for us? As as we tell kids, there are there are two types of motivation in you know intrinsic and extrinsic, but there mm-hmm. are actually four types of motivation. And and the interjected motivation is that it's an internalized motivation, and we do things out of pressure and guilt. Um, it's not for us. So I guess from an adult perspective, the the equivalent would be I'm going to the gym because I want to look good. I don't enjoy the gym but I'll go or I'm going to the gym because everyone else goes and they're feeling motivated and then they're looking good. So I better do it. But it's not something that we really get any sort of internal value out of. So as a young kid, we do those things because other people expect us to and and because we feel guilt that all of our friends are doing it. So Mm. I didn't realize that at that age I was doing things because I had to do it and because other people expected them. And I guess then it started to become, well, like you said, Kingy, you're, you're great at sport. Why are you giving up? Like, mm. and, and for me, I was like, well, I don't want that to be Who I am. the label that, I'm, that I carry around. Like, I still want to just be good at sport, but I don't want to feel like I have to win the game every week or I have to mm. make a rep team or I have to train five times a week or whatever it might be. But I, I felt that at a very young age that, it was something I wasn't comfortable with. And we, what we don't really understand is that motivation is a fluid process. It's You have to build it. But at the same time as building motivation in kids, you can lose it. And so mm. over time, kids lose motivation incrementally due to ex- experiences or you know, due to friendships or movement or yep. coaches or, or other life pressure or whatever teammates yeah it's, you can have one one teammate that you don't don't align with and it can change your entire life that's it your motivation towards it yeah mm. and we take it for granted we just think oh okay 
kids are motivated. They want to do this. And then we just think that that's black and white, right? They're motivated. We don't have to worry about that anymore. They're playing. But it is a, mm. it's a fluid process that we have to continue to, to you know, reinvigorate kids and, and keep the fire burning and find out why they do things and, and build that motivation continually so that you don't come to those crossroads for some kids and they're like, what am I doing this for? Why am mm. I doing this? I didn't even realize I hated this. Mm, mm. It's it's so interesting. Mate, what, look, the it way really you're is describing it. it. And it, thank you for being so honest. Yeah, about I it. was going to say your transparency is mm. fantastic because mm. it well, we obviously gives us a, yeah a wonderful platform mm. to keep speaking from as well. And mate, obviously you and I have known each other a long time, but to be uh, honest with everybody else, we haven't connected in recent years. Yeah. And after hearing you speak, then so much of what I saw in you in your late teens, early twenties, when we were linked considerably and spent a lot of time together, including playing sport. I, I just remember you as someone that I looked up to and went, mate, how good is this bloke at playing sport, but being so humble doing it and being almost dismissive of your talent and ability. And, and I say that with credit, not, and, and I, rem- I remember, and, and it's one of the questions that I wanted to ask you today I remember you playing both rugby league at a high level within Canberra and obviously reserve grade at the Raiders at the time and rugby union in first grade in Canberra, which again at the time, and I'm not diminishing the competition currently, mm. but it was at a very high standard back then at the formation of the of the super rugby competition because a lot of those players were still playing local footy. Mm. And you're on the cusp of a professional career, to be honest, and, and there were choices there that you could potentially make. And, but you elected to pursue your tertiary education instead. And a lot of what you've just said to me actually sits quite comfortably into that decision. What do you think this time taught you and how it did it or help shape your life now? Mate, firstly, thanks for your, your kind words, JV. I'm, uh, I'm humbled to hear them from, from someone like you, mate. I've always, always looked I up to I think I've myself. still got a palm print on my forehead, mate. <laughs> from, <laughs> uh, I actually remember the try quite well. Yeah. Baking from the back of a scrum with a big left hand, don't argue, and me left sprawling. But uh, yep, that's a that's a podcast for another day. It's an example of um, intrinsic motivation that that game was to play against you and and to to do well against you was yeah I was internally driven that game so <laughs> that was a whole different. Well, you achieved your goal. It was a whole different motivation. And uh, yeah, but I guess I um speaking about where I sort of took the, the crossroads in when it came to professional sport. I'd, I'd, when, I, when, I, when I left sport at an early age of 16 and then I came back into sort of 17, 18, and I guess I sort of hit some, some pretty good standards towards those years because I had, I had things to prove. It was like, now I, I want to come back and prove to people that I actually am, I can play sport and I can do it for my own reasons. I was old enough then at 17 and 18 to know that Every time I wanted mm-hmm. to play, I was like, well, I'm playing against grown men now, so I want to prove myself. And I'll, I'm making a rep team because I want to prove myself. And I still mm-hmm. I still remember moving to Canberra and, and being on the phone most nights to mum and dad because I was only sort of 17, 18. I was on the phone to them yeah, most sounds- nights in tears. I, I had to walk down to McDonald's down at Queen Bianca because we didn't have a phone. And I would I would be on the phone at McDonald's crying my eyes out in front of all the locals and telling them that I, I wanted to come home and I didn't want to do this. To their credit, they, they kept me 
motivated and they kept me sort of with my head in the game. And I stayed there for a few years, but I eventually moved away from professional sport in the sense of, I guess, Raiders or, or whatever you want to call it at that elite level. And I, and I decided that it wasn't really for me. I, I think I misunderstood the concept of patience in sport. I, I misunderstood the idea that you have to do an apprenticeship in sport. I think from a very young age, we, we teach kids about instant validation and instant recognition and you must win this, you mm. must get this award, you must make this rep team. And if you do that and mm. you continue to progress, then you are successful. I didn't understand that I got to the Raiders and then I couldn't understand why I wasn't going any further. Like, why am I not playing first grade? Take away the fact that the Canberra Raiders first grade team was full of kangaroos, but... Yeah, Shit hot. But in, in my... Yeah. It was like, awesome. I think Laurie Daly and Brett Mullins and were the two guys in my positions above me. But to me, I was like, why am I not continuing to progress? Like in my head, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And so the easiest thing for me was to, to say, well, oh, well, I'm done. I'll just walk away from it. Like I don't, I don't need to, to prove myself to anyone else and I don't want to fail. So it's easier if I walk away. It's easier if it's on me. Mm. And I say, I didn't care about it. So I just walked. Uh, so instead of waiting for them to say, you're not good enough, I sort of walked out on, on my contracts and said, oh, I'm done. I'll take control of this. And then no one can ever judge me because it was me that made the decision. So it was a, it was a strange decision to make. And I, and I probably do regret it, mm. but I regret more that someone didn't pull me aside and say, hey, mate, you need to hang in there for a couple of years. This is how this is how it works yeah. at this level. Probably didn't help because I was one of your university mates, but <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty confident. And I was like, "What the yeah, fuck I, are you I doing?" My, um, <sighs> pretty confident. You probably weren't a good influence parents, either. Yeah. Look, potentially not, but at the time, I, I actually remember actual single conversations with David, looking at, for example, if I saw him on a Monday evening somewhere and we were playing touch footy, and he was supposed to be at weights training with the Raiders. He had a reason why he didn't go, and mm. I, I'm, I don't. I, I hope I'm not being, you know, overly reflective or. But but I I remember thinking at the time, mate, you're a freak. What are you doing? Don't hang out with me. Yeah. Go <laughs> go and hang out with Ricky Stewart. Yeah, I mean that says a lot about your company, mate. So um, I, I was obviously different headspace, and 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 I think that's we we often forget as adults and and especially adults who are involved in sport as part of our life, that we often forget that it's a very different headspace for younger athletes and, and adolescents. And mm -hmm. yeah. we forget that our world as adults is so full of different balls to juggle and complexities. And we can't understand why an adolescent headspace is not the same. But for me as a, as a, as a 16, yeah. 17, 18 year old, 19, 20, whatever it was, I was still, I was still pretty young. And to me, it consumed my thoughts, failure and not achieving success. Mm. So that was all my mm. world. And I, and, and I didn't have the sort of, well, I've got to balance a job and pay bills and look after the kids and, you know, do these, all these other things. Mm. So when other people said, what are you doing? Mm. For me, it was mm. like, you know what? I just need to pop this balloon because it's, it's create, it's taking up so mm. much of my headspace. I need to just walk mm. away from it because no one's giving me any tools or strategies to deal with it. They're just saying, why can't, why aren't you doing mm. it? Like, why aren't you succeeding? Like it, mm. it just sort of was more pressure. Do you reckon if it was in a, it happened at a different time, like fast forward a bit that, you know, things kind of 
would have got to a point, you know, like those tools would may have been more available, like down the track. Certainly. It was just not It was a time of life. Do you know what I mean? Like in professional sport, the the advent of working in that mindset space. It wasn't. And, it was in the being a, formative time, if, if yeah, not there really. Look, I think one of the things that's developed in – in professional sport, uh, probably more so over the last 10 to 15 years than, than 20 odd years ago, is that you used to, this is football, leave your yes. troubles at the yep. door. But now, 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 it's a, now it's a warts and all. Mm-hmm. We, we accept You're you for who person. you are. You are the whole person. And we understand that there are barriers and hurdles and things in your life that we, mm-hmm. that we need to help you take care of in order for you to play yeah, your best football. But and I wouldn't have thought that that was probably widely that philosophy wasn't, wasn't then. widely used. It then. wasn't. Yeah. So mm. it, perhaps it is a time of life or a a, mm. a, a time of societal life. Not mm. not in Dave's life particularly, but mm. late nineties, it was just like you know you're in professional footy, just get on with you it. You are hard enough for you. Just yeah. Get on with it. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. And yeah. and now it is a, a it's a really different space, and obviously mm. you have some insight into that. So now I'm interested, I guess, that, you know, you're able to probably um, use some of those lessons that you learnt coming through, you know, those early years in sport and, and, and after uh, in your role as a, as a school teacher. We'd love to hear more about some of the values and philosophies that are central to your teaching and how you, you've spoken a bit about motivation in particular and how encouraging, you know, how to encourage, I guess, adolescents to stretch themselves. Yeah, well, just be the to best be the best version of be. themselves. Yes. I'm really fortunate to work in education. I'm one of those weird people. I love what I do. I, oh, I genuinely I yeah, I genuinely love working with kids and adolescents and and trying to I guess put put their well-being first. I think we sometimes think that schools and sports are about results, but understanding where I've come from and and my work mm. as a as a, a mental skills coach as well, I understand the importance of well-being with our students and I think we, we all sometimes fall into the trap of forgetting that we're not results driven, whether it be in school or sports, but our kids need reminding of that and our students mm. and, and athletes need reminding that they are on their the, families. Yeah, or even, even more so. I think the parent, the parent modeling is mm-hmm. way more influential than we, we give it credit for. And, and I don't mean the 10% because I think our students and our parents believe that there is this 10% focus on results. So if you win on the weekend, you get that award, you achieve that grade. That I mean, that's ultimately the 10% of the performance. We get judged. We still judge all of our athletes on the 10% of their week, which is the 80 minutes on Saturday or Sunday, whether they won or lost. But what mm. I'm understanding as, a, as an educator and a teacher mm. now and Mm. A, a beginning parent is that the the ninety percent of our week is the more important. Um, <laughs> being able to to teach kids about values and standards and and serving mm. others and having fun are the key indicators for success. Not the ten percent results, the the ninety percent that we put in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, mm. Friday. Not just at training, but how we treat other people, how we look after our friends, how we communicate with our parents and siblings. The value mm. systems that we build around yep. our students for the 90% of the time will take care of the 10% in the sporting world. Absolutely. And that's not only in that environment. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. think sometimes in professional sport we can lose track of that. But 
in a in a period where we had a considerable lull at the Sea Eagles at the start of last year, at the start of 2021, we were 0-4. It was the only thing we changed was our – and you literally said it almost word for word. We were yes. letting our 80 minutes control our week rather than letting our week control our 80 minutes. And and it, we we just made a conscious decision that we would leave the baggage that we'd certainly developed over the previous month at the door and that and that we would concentrate on – on being the best version of ourselves throughout the week, allowing ourselves to smile and enjoy training. And to be a leader wasn't to drag your bottom lip on the floor and have the other 25 players who look up to you think they need to do the same thing. Being a leader was letting your baggage go and leading with positivity and looking at the, looking at the things obviously that we're capable of achieving and the results turned. We didn't, tra- we didn't change one thing about the way we trained we just changed the way we looked at it. It's it's and it, and it seems it seems so simple, but it it's also such a confronting thing for athletes and students to do to, to think that. Mm. So I often call it accept and release. So accept the situation for what it is, and then release it, let it go. So mm-hmm. if you think about, and this is I'm probably showing my age here, but Babe Ruth was is one of probably historically the greatest baseball players to play the game, and and a lot of people of our generation know who who Babe Ruth was mm-hmm, even if they've mm-hmm. never heard never spoken or seen him play mm-hmm. his his batting average was what the, what they call a 340 which is basically 340 times out of a thousand he would get a hit now Babe Ruth is one of the greatest players to ever play baseball and he's a hall of famer and he's hitting 340 out of a thousand so the lesson i take out of this is what mm. was he thinking about for the other, the other 660 <laughs> times. Totally. How does a guy become a Hall of Famer over the course of his career and miss six out of 10? So the, the lesson I take out of this and I try and instill in my students is you need to develop a short-term memory that you capture the advantage of every situation, whatever it is, win, loss, feedback, constructive criticism, abject failure, capture the advantage and then move on. You got to drop it. You got to leave it there because if we if we were missing six out of ten and we were kicking stones constantly, thinking about those six, you're never going to get to a point where you can have the ability to strength spot and you can start looking forward and going right. Well, okay, I did this wrong. I can accept that and I'm going to release it and leave it. My short term memory's kicking in and we're going forward again. Mm. So that it, it's that ability to in kids to develop that short term memory and say okay, this might have happened. Let's have a quick look at it. Let's learn something from it and let's just move on because mm. as, an, as an adult, it doesn't bother me and I'm not going to burden you with the concerns of something going wrong. I'm okay with it, so you should be okay with it. Mm. Let's move on. Uh, and I think that's one of the key things that I, I try and work with kids around is mm. Mm. that ability to, to see things for what it is and then and not put too much emphasis, emphasis on, on it. On mm. it. it yeah, Good short-term memory. Yeah, short-term memory, and then we move on. Mate, you've, ta- you've undertaken a lot of personal development work and, and obviously tertiary study, as we've discussed. And beyond that, you've developed the WISPA, W-I-S-P-A program. Can you share with us a bit about the program and the types of groups that you work with? Yeah, so I, I guess in education and, and, and the sporting world, I, I have a real passion for character development. Um, mm. I think it, it's one of those areas that, often gets forgotten about how we actually develop the character in kids and 
if if you ask any parents, what do you want for your kids out of sport and what do you want for your kids out of school? Majority of the time they'll answer and they'll say, well, I want my kid to be happy. I mm-hmm. want him to be brave. I want him to be curious. I want him to have a, a zest for life and a love of learning. And then we put him in sport and school and we don't do anything about it. We teach mm-hmm. him maths. We teach him English. We teach him STEM. We teach him how skill development and how yep. to kick and how to tackle. But we don't teach him how to be brave or curious or creative. So the WHISPER program is is just a very simple program that I developed that would hopefully improve our character development in kids. So it, it's it's an acronym for the, the program, the structure of WHISPER. We, we watch something that's really interesting. We investigate it with some questions. We share our answers. We plan how we can get better at that character strength. And then we do an activity which embeds it and, and really makes it part of our, our daily life. So the WHISPER program is is going to be launched in July. It, it basically takes the 24 character strengths that we all have, and it spends time individually, intentionally on each character strength and makes it a fun way to actually try and improve mm-hmm. our gratitude or our love or our self-regulation in kids. So mm-hmm. it's something that hopefully students can actually use and schools can use mm. to improve the character in their kids. Um, and, it, and it's based in research and I'm, I'm very lucky I get to go to the US at the end of this month and launch it um, over at a, an international conference in, in Dallas. So Congratulations. That's very cool. That's, that's a big achievement. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, I, I've worked but hard, but I'm, I'm very lucky. I was lucky. about to say, the harder you work, the luckier you get, mate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a, something that I'm passionate about and, and something that is not going to go away for our kids, that, that understanding that their character is – is first and foremost in whatever they do, sport, friendship, mm-hmm. life. So you said it was launched. You you were launching it in the US uh, for our listeners. Is there anywhere sort of where they could find out a little bit more pre-launch? Yeah, thanks, Tiff. Um, it's so at the moment it's on. It's live on the internet, and it's great. It's simply whisperwellbeing. Yes. Uh, dot au. Mm-hmm. Uh, so W I S P A, and I and mm-hmm. I've put up the sort of the information on there and, and a couple of sample lessons um, if people mm-hmm. wanted to say, well, how does it work and can I have a go yeah. at it? Sure. Um, so it's it's going to continue to grow as the year goes. So we're going to release different character strengths every week um, from July onwards so that mm. people can mm-hmm. sort of use it as they see fit. But at the moment, it's it's at whisperwellbeing.au and um, yeah, it's there as a, a framework so people can have a look at it and get in touch if they've got any questions or feedback. Is this where we step in with something with an activity yeah. that we've just completed, David? Hey, love that. Okay, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Let's sort of see how we ourselves. go. We're going to see how you might want to just give a little bit of an overview of the um, the questionnaire that John and I have completed pre-interview and uh, you, we can run through some results to perhaps uh, see. Share a few home truths about us. <laughs> So yeah. un- unbeknownst to the listeners, um, I sort of <laughs> flipped this on its head and I was like, you know, these two get to ask all the questions and put the pressure on. So <laughs> I-, I sent through um, a survey <laughs> to John and Tiff and-, and asked them to complete it prior to this. And mm-hmm. it's-, it's a survey that reveals, and-, and the way I use it, I use it with students um, and adolescents and-, and even athletes to help them understand their story. Mm-hmm. Part of the work I do is to try and help 
kids and students and athletes understand their story. And we often have yeah. two stories. We have mm-hmm. a story that we present to the world. Uh, mm-hmm. on this young, confident athlete who has everything working for them and, I, and I'm, you know, I've got all these skills. And then we have this other story that we only look in the mirror at home in dark places to ourselves. And yeah. usually these stories are separate and we try and keep our own story and insecurities and fragilities away from the public story. Mm-hmm. And so this survey is, is a quick survey to help you understand a little bit about yourself. Now, mm. what I've asked John and Tiff to do is to fill out this survey and they're going to they're gonna give me some numbers in a second. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to tell mm-hmm. them what those numbers mean. And then we'll see. So we've got numbers, but we're very curious. Okay. As to what Particularly because we're like reverse. We're very different. Amazing. Completely. Amazing. Okay. So the, the numbers, so what, what, what these guys have had to do, they've had to fill out this form and they've had to rank certain words in order mm-hmm. of best fit. So this applies to mm-hmm. me as number one. This doesn't apply to me as number four. So can you give me your scores across the four columns? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is for me, David, okay? Yep, go. So column one, yep. I'm 38. Yes. Column two, I'm 24. Column three, I'm 21. And column four, I'm 31. Okay. And John, yours? I am column one, 28. Column two, 40. Column three, 23, and column four, 23. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Okay. So basically what these columns mean. So these columns are actually, I I give them animal characteristics. So Mm -hmm. often when we try and relay information about our character or about who we are, we find it difficult to relate to, but we have this strange relationship with animals where we can sort of see ourselves in animals in a better way. Mm -hmm. So the first column Uh indicates lions. The second column indicates otters. The third third column is golden retrievers. And the fourth column are are bees or killer bees, what we call. So let me give you a little bit. So Tiff, you've scored highest as a lion. Yeah. Um, and your second uh-huh. highest, you went with uh-huh. um, bees, which is killer bees, let's say. So as a lion. Uh-huh. So what does that say about me? Yeah, good. So, John, you might be in a better position to actually agree or disagree here, but <laughs> let, let, let me tell you and see what you think. So lions are leaders. They, they like to be in charge. They like to get things organized. And if John's shaking his head, he's saying, no, 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 that okay. doesn't apply to oh, I'm actually but- just, my eyebrows are going straight up and down yep. like, Mm. Yep. So this is correct. Yep. So they are they're, they're decisive. They're, they're not good at watching or listening. They like to be in there. And if, if no one's taking charge, they'll often just jump in and, and, and take charge. They're confident, <laughs> self-reliant. Yep. So, so the, the strengths of a lion, um, obviously decisive, achievement-driven, they're independent. They take initiative. They're risk-takers and, and, and they're, mm-hmm. they're competitive. As a lion, mm-hmm. as you would imagine, is so. Is this it's competitive about vacuuming? Is this, <laughs> so is this, is this sort of true? Yes. True? Now, oh, to be fair, it is true. It okay. is hundred percent true. <laughs> this isn't. This is. And what about as a killer bee? Right. So, so let me let me show you that 
The lion has a lot of attributes, attributes, but it also has a few obstacles. Right. So a lion can also be impatient and blunt and a poor listener. They can be impulsive. They can be demanding. They can run over people who are slow to act. They get quickly bored. So that a lion is great to have mm-hmm. all these really positive attributes. But when no, no, it's good to weigh up with the, exactly. the not helpful. When when mm-hmm. we use this, when we use this as with kids or with athletes. It's good for those athletes to understand that as a lion, you've got some really positive attributes, mm-hmm. but you also have some attributes that other people it can find, be perceived this way too. Yeah, find mm-hmm. difficult to deal with. So, as a killer bee, um, which you scored pretty high with as well, bees like to do things by the book. Like they're they're quite analytical and methodical. Mm-hmm. They're they're sort of accurate and detail orientated and really industrious and thorough. Um, but mm-hmm. they can also be a bit too critical of themselves. They can sometimes be yeah. perfectionist, maybe impatient and oversensitive sometimes. So there's a really industrious around killer bees who who like to get things done and have really high standards, as you can imagine a bee would. Like mm-hmm. they need to mm-hmm. do certain things and get it right and thorough and details. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that can also cause issues when it's a need to be over the top to be perfectionist mm-hmm. or a need to be, mm-hmm. you know hard on themselves. They, they struggle yeah. with that sort of concept. So you scored really high. I would definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that sounds accurate that sounds, on both sides of that. Yeah. Okay. So when we, when we understand this about ourselves, we can start to understand how we use that for our own benefit, but also how mm-hmm. it's going to influence other people around us mm. and how it's going to affect mm-hmm. other people around us. And that self-reflection is key. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so John, which is Really interesting. Mm. Scored high in the otter. Well, he was quite high in that column too, wasn't he? Yeah. What's that? So otter, otter was the second column. Otter. Mm-hmm. Now, knowing John for a long time, if I had to pick, this would be this would be this would be John. So otters are really? otters are really really excitable, fun seeking, <laughs> social types. That they're great no. at they're great at motivating people. Like an otter, like they're, they're the life of the party. Yeah. They're outgoing. They're great networkers. Yes. They encourage other people. They're, they're the people that people love to be around. So mm-hmm. they have this energy about them. They're enthusiastic, optimistic, emotional, sociable, dramatic sometimes, fun-loving. I think he just wants you to stop right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, That's not true. I didn't even make a face. I was just listening. So they have all these great strengths, but can also be and reactive and too talkative. And they can be a little bit at times not detail orientated, a little bit maybe disorganized at times because they're they're basing a lot of things on feelings, yep. not thoughts. So yep. otters can sometimes be too excitable and, and that at times detracts from what the what the goal yep. is or what the vision is. So yes. it, it's it's really interesting to to try and understand who we are as animals and as I mm. said, what strengths we have. And then how our personalities and characters can affect other people around us. Um, and mm. and so I use this with kids, and and then I group kids in different ways. So that so mm. a golden retriever, we haven't covered a golden retriever, but they're loyal. No. They're loyal to a fault. Their loyalty, like yeah. they will be so loyal that they will put off their it's own to their own detriment. Exactly, their own feelings, their own issues, their own concerns, their own goals to serve others. So mm. they often have a lot of friends and no enemies, but they are at times 
detrimental to their own purposes. So mm-hmm. they're, they're mm-hmm. indecisive and over accommodating. They they don't they don't mm-hmm. like confrontation. They fear change, but they're super loyal, super patient, mm-hmm. super easygoing, great team players. So in knowing this about students and athletes and individuals, we can learn how to support them and help them. So. Mm-hmm. Knowing that I'm yeah. knowing that I'm working with a golden retriever means that I have to be a little bit more micro goal orientated. I have to break things down a little bit for them and then celebrate successes a little bit more. I have to work on positivity mm. training for for bees or for otters to to try and help them understand where they can use their strengths to help other people and serve other people. So it's it's an interesting way of of helping it's people. It's so interesting. It's really good. Yeah, and and it it does get you reflecting, which is cool. And that's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's the idea behind it. No, I love that. Thank you so much. And it's, it was fun to do I'm it. I'm sure it was you've generated considerable fun. interest too yeah. from the, yeah, yeah. from what you've shown us and the examples that you provided. Yeah. yeah, it's it's sometimes scary to to then see that story in the mirror and go, that makes sense. Now I, I can share this story with others. It definitely made sense in your analysis of um, us, for sure. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for, thanks for doing that. That's really cool. Thank you for take, taking the time. No, well, thank you for coming <laughs> up with fun. it as an idea. It was, <laughs> it was really fun. good. Mate, on a personal note, and, and, and it's, a, it's aligned with what we've just discussed there with the Whisper program, you yourself have participated in a large number of endurance events. For example, like running across various parts of Europe for your charity that you developed, Have Bear, Will Run. Can you talk to us a little bit about your interest in those types of events and and about your charity? It all sort of grew out of my time working at Westmead Children's Hospital. Um, so I was working there and, and working in oncology as a an education coordinator and, and working with the kids who were battling cancer and the families who were battling cancer oh. every day. And it was um it, it was it was highly rewarding confronting. but it was it was harrowing. Yeah, it was confronting. It was it was a really tough time to be working there, but I, I loved every day of it. And I guess in working there I, I realized that I wanted to do more. Uh, and I wanted to do mm. more to help these kids and help these families. So I started and I'm not a runner. Um, I started running during this time there and and decided that I wanted to take on eight marathons around Australia uh, as quickly as I could, one in every state in, in a bid to try and raise money for the kids. And then, so in doing that, I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew that I wanted to do something. So I started mm-hmm. getting into endurance running and then realized that it was more mental than it was physical, which suited me. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd evolved a long way as an athlete about knowing how to deal with struggles and pain and, and challenges. So I was much better equipped now at, at using endurance psychology to actually sustain these running adventures. And then I started thinking, mm. right, now that I've done marathons, I want to go bigger. So um, I ran across Spain. I, I ran did, did the Marathon de Sables through the Sahara Desert. Uh, ran a, Amazing. Ran, is that like 250 kilometers or something? Yeah, yeah. Two feet, the, the Sahara Desert is – the, the MDS is um, completely self-sufficient too, which is the, the, the difficult part. You have to carry oh everything goodness. on your back. So all your food, oh, all, all your clothes, oh anti-venom pumps, flares, everything, your, your medicine, your, your sleeping bag, your roll mat, everything you have to carry. No way. For every, every day. And there was some there's – a, there's a tale I tell um, which sort of if, – if we got time to, to share this. Go, go. Quickly. In MDS, 
the, the Marathon des Sables is what the race is called. So the, the Marathon yeah. des Sables is the, the running of the sands or the race of the sands. And it runs 256 k's through the Sahara Desert. And there's six <sighs> stages. Um, the first three stages were, you know, through sand dunes and, you know, 11-story sand dunes. And you're carrying everything on your back when it's at its most heaviest. Man. And day four was 84 kilometers. It was a double marathon day. And I got through about 65 k's of this one and then i realized that my feet had swollen up to the point that they were filling my shoes now because i'd been on them for so long and i hadn't bought shoes that were big enough to compensate for the swelling oh my gosh i i got to this point where i was questioning you know how i was going to actually finish this race and with about 15 kilometers to go on the on day four I knew that I had a marathon the next day and then a, a shorter day on day six, but I couldn't work out how I was going to finish this race. So I, I pulled over and, and sat down in this little under a tree and it was on this day, it was 52 degrees and I was shot to bits and my feet were swollen to the point of, I, I didn't know how I was going to do this. So I took my shoes off mm. and I realized that the only way to do this was to actually do something out of the box and something extraordinary and had to reveal, I guess, a little bit of character about who I was and and this this sort of takes me back to what I said earlier that we the daily lives of our parents build more character in us than any sporting performance will and I grew up with parents who would work 20 hour days and would work for years on end without taking holidays and and that has sort of become a little bit about who I've become it had nothing to do with my sporting performances it was more about what my parents modeled so here I am in the middle of Sahara Desert, 52 degrees, and I've pulled my shoes off and I've reached into my backpack and I've taken out my lighter and I've taken out my safety pin, which we all have to carry safety pins. I sterilized the safety pin and what I'd realized that underneath all my toenails, they had blistered underneath my toenails. So oh. I, had to, I had to make a decision. And at this point, I, I drove the safety pin through all of my toenails to release all the pressure. Oh my God, the pressure. And so at this point I'm, I'm sitting here doing something that makes no sense. Oh. And, and if you told me I had to do that before I started, I, I would have told you I wouldn't have done it. But oh my we, gosh. in our darkest moments, we, we reveal our deepest character strengths and mm. we reveal mm. what has been instilled in us from a very young age, whether it be work ethic or whether it be loyalty to others or service others, whatever it might be. So mm. there's me sort of driving a, a safety pin through my, my oh. toes and then oh. pulling my shoes back on and, and finishing wow. the race. And it's in that that deeper sense of purpose that I realize that in raising money by doing mm. these things that I give kids now a chance to follow their dreams. Um, so mm. raising money with with silly adventures around the world allows the scholarship and the charity to continue to flourish. And, and we remember a little boy who, who I became very close with, Lucian Page, who, who lost his battle at the age of five. Mm. And so we named the scholarship in his honour. Incredible. So it is. now all the adventures we do, um, we carry teddy bears on our back mm-hmm. and that's where the have bear will run comes from. So we run carrying a teddy bear in city to surf or marathons or whatever it might be, adventures mm. around the world to raise money for kids battling cancer so they can go mm. to uni and they can and they can follow their dreams. Mm. And, and I guess that's, yeah, that's where oh, the, it's amazing. the charity And we'll came include from. some details of that Mate, as well. That's awesome. 
because that's in, absolutely incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much we're, for sharing that story. We're dead, story so we don't want well. to wrap this up. We, no, oh my so, gosh, it feels like there's so, multiple we're, podcasts we're, we're, we're in this dead, here. We're, we're literally scratching the surface, aren't we, of, yeah. of what we could get into. And, and maybe there is an opportunity for yeah. a second one. There's so much gold in our conversation, I guess, for our sports parents who are listening and, um, you know, we've covered so much. But if there is one piece of advice for sports parents, you know, based on your experience in so many different areas and ways, what would it be? For kids, it's anxiety and, and stress and self-esteem. It's bred from the unknown. Like we know as adults that everything's going to be okay. And we know that mm. you're going to wake up tomorrow and if you lose this game or you don't make that rep team, it's going to be okay. But for our kids, it consumes them. So for mm. me, it's, it's always parent and support foundation first. We, are, we, we need to believe in our kids and let them know that no matter what happens, we believe in them and, and we love them for who they are as a kid or an athlete or a quirky little you know, mm. sports star, but we believe in our kids first. We're, we're coached second mm. and we're results driven second. So if we, can, if we can find the fun in sport and we can let our kids know that we believe in them no matter what and we, we spot their strengths in every opportunity, I think it goes a long way to give kids that safety net that no matter what happens, my coach, my teacher, my parents, they believe in me and they know I'm good at these certain things and whether I fail or succeed, they're going to be, my, I'm biggest, going to be all right. they're going to be my biggest supporter. They're still going to be there supporting me. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's about believing in people. There's no greater value we can give to anyone than to believe in them. And we all know it, we've got people that believe in us. We love them and we gravitate towards them. So mm-hmm. if we can have that... We do. If we can have that belief in our kids and our our students and our athletes, no matter what happens, they're going to be okay. That's gold. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sports Parenthood. Please leave a review, share with your friends, or visit our website, sportsparenthood.com.au, to connect. Catch you next week.